Welcome to The Scope with Dr. K, where together we can reimagine GI care. Welcome to The Scope with Dr. K. I'm Dr. Kaczynski, and we're going to open the show as we always do by reminding everyone that the goal of this series is to present you a broad scope of value-based care issues, mainly involving the field of gastroenterology, but sometimes outside of GI as well. In each episode, we strive to bring you cutting edge information through a focused interview with an influential and interesting key opinion leader. Today, we are moving back to the provider space to discuss how some very influential provider leaders view value and how specialist aggregation can promote participation in value-based care. To assist us in our discussion today, I've invited two key opinion leaders, both longtime friends and colleagues of mine, Barry Tanner and Dr. Michael Weinstein. Barry Tanner is the chairman of Physicians Endoscopy, a company that has been running endoscopic ambulatory surgery centers under his guidance for over 20 years. Today, PE is in partnership with 60 GI ASCs with over 600 gastroenterologists who perform over 600,000 annual procedures. Michael Weinstein, is the president of Capital Digestive Care, the largest private practice gastroenterology group in the Mid-Atlantic and Northeastern states. The group sees more than 70,000 patients annually and performs one out of every two outpatient colonoscopy procedures in the Washington metropolitan area. Why bring these two GI leaders together for a single podcast? Because PE and Capital Digestive, CDC, have come together to form PE Practice Solutions a unique physician-oriented management service organization designed exclusively for gastroenterologists. In forming this entity, they are committed to the preservation of the independent practice of gastroenterology and the advancement of digestive care. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Thank you, Larry. Thanks, Larry. So the GI space is undergoing tremendous restructuring through the aggregation of GI practices. Although this has been going on for years, today it is being enhanced through the influence of private equity investments. I'm interested in each of your views on this consolidation. Let's start with Barry. Well, my focus in the, for 18 years was entirely on the ambulatory surgery center side. My approach with physician, with, in developing and manage, helping physicians to manage these ambulatory surgery centers was always to realize that the success of the practice in so many ways equals the success of the ambulatory surgery center. So a lot of it, I would say, it's experience and paying close attention. What I have seen over those 18 plus years in working with physicians is that the, the constant has been downward pressure on professional reimbursement. And I think over the years, I've watched physicians try to work harder, try to work smarter, you know, up to a point where they're almost exhausted in terms of just performing the high level of care that they're delivering. And I think it's now reached the point, which I can see very clearly, that we're at this intersection where there needs to be a better marriage between the business skills and resources that the business people can bring to the table ver and, and, and add those into what the clinical providers like yourself can bring to the table. So I think what's helped is 
20 years of working directly with gastroenterologists and being able to help create that, what I think is an appropriate marriage of business skills with clinical skills, while at all while trying to stay out of the way. I mean, the business skills should be an enhancement to what you're, to the care that you're trying to deliver. It shouldn't be out front, it shouldn't overtake the care, but it should in every way possible enhance your ability to gather data and to deliver care. And that's where I think, you know, the, over those many years that I've had has really enhanced my vision of what it's gonna to take to be successful. Barry, I would have to say that in my experience working with you and jointly uh, owning an ambulatory surgery center, everything you said is exactly the way you actually practice. Um, it, it's almost as though you're the puppeteer in the back with the strings. Yeah. Uh, and, and we don't even see the strings. Um, <laughs> Michael, you built one of the largest GI practices in the United States. Um, how has this experience in building CDC influenced your view of GI practice aggregation? Uh, well, first, Larry, thanks for asking us to be on your uh, podcast. I, I really appreciate this. Um, you know, I go back a long way. When I went first went into practice in 1985, I joined two other physicians. And uh, they were busy. And uh, I built a, a surgery center in 1985 for basically three, for three docs. Uh, and the main reason I built it is because the hospital was locking me out of doing cases at the hospital until like three o'clock in the afternoon um, because I was the young guy. Um, and what, what, we've, what I've seen in the Washington area, what I saw all through the 80s and 90s was consolidation of all sorts of healthcare enterprise. Uh, hospitals uh, merging, um, insurance companies all merging, pharmaceutical companies were all merging. There was consolidation in healthcare has been going on for, for 30 years. Um, and it became obvious to me that if we're going to be uh, pertinent, relevant in conversations that, well, if it's good for the goose, it must be good for the gander. If, it, if, it's, if they're merging, there must be a, a reason to merge. I coordinated a group of actually 150 physicians in the 1990s to take risk in a capitation contract. Um, all through the Mid-Atlantic, uh, we had a, a capitation contract, if you remember of capitation, which mm -hmm. did, not, did not go well for us. Uh, or we, for anybody else. <laughs> or for anybody else. It did not go well for us because we, we had a very successful capitation contract until about 1998-99 when screening colonoscopy became a, quote, covered benefit. And our actuarial per member per month cost had, was nowhere near enough to cover screening colonoscopy, and yet patients wanted screening colonoscopy. So we got our, we, you know, we got killed. Um, but again, it became obvious that you needed size to take risk. You needed a size to be relevant with the payers. So we grew gradually through uh, 2000. And then in 2008, can, uh, you know, we convinced uh, seven different practices to merge in, in 2009 uh, into one single group. Um, but about that time, it also became possible to merge business aspects. And Larry, you're a business guy. Um, and it was clear to me that 
you could merge business aspects of a medical practice without necessarily having to merge culture of mm -hmm. all the doctors. You didn't have to merge culture. And, and, uh, and I've known Barry for 20 years. And I think Barry's philosophy is I can wrap around a very successful management business and still allow the physicians to be their individual selves. Yeah. You know, the, the, the business aspects have been the first thing that just about all of our aggregated practices have brought together. Now, you mentioned the word culture, and I'd like to pivot a little bit here and hear from both of you, um, your individual visions on how we take what we've created now forward. We're going to have to tap into the personal ways that physicians practice medicine in order to really bring more value to the to the both to the payers and to the patients so that a capital digestive care patient is being treated according to a certain care standard so i'm interested to see how the two of you look upon what you need to do going forward from here more than just the business aspects of it and the electronic health record aspects as a as a management entity our job is primarily to arm the physicians with more data so that they can make more informed care delivery decisions. And so, and, and that it's easy for me to say, it's probably harder to deliver on. So while we're doing that, I think it's also important to protect the individuality of the way any physician chooses to practice. You're not gonna practice identical to to the way Mike would practice and so on. Um, the, other th the other part of that, however, is if there's intense collaboration among physicians so that you could see what Michael's doing and the outcomes that he's achieving may influence the way you deliver care, if you had instantaneous real-time access to that, that may actually change your behavior in such a way that to improve your patient outcomes. So what I see our primary role is not to culturally bring people into doing things the same way or under the same you know, policies, procedures across the board. I see what we're doing is trying to capture data and, and present that data predominantly to practitioners like yourselves in such a way that they can convert it into action that will make a difference. And I think that is the key to consolidation, to aggregation. It's not to change behavior. It's not to make employees out of people and get them marching in lockstep. That is not what it's all about. What it's about is arming you with enough data so that you can independently make the decision that you think is best to deliver the best care. This is why Barry and I get along so well, because um, I feel the same way. And this goes to the model that we've created, which is if physicians want to work inefficiently, well, as long as we make them responsible for their own inefficiency, and it doesn't harm the business, and it doesn't harm anybody else, then that's okay. Most physicians in my mind, and Barry's probably true, most physicians care about everything that they can see with their own two eyes. They care about the appearance of the office. They care that there's somebody there to help them as many as they want. 
they, they want the patient, their schedules to be full. And at the end of the month, they want the money in the bank. How they go from that first group to the last step, they're not really concerned about how the money ends up. As long as the money is there, as long as everything in the back office is working well, they won't actually care how it works. And that's where professional management and skilled people can be brought to bear in a larger group that you cannot bring to bear in a group of six, eight, 15 even. You can't get that level of skill uh, in the back office and you can't gather the data and you can't spread the technology butter thinner unless you, unless you get bigger. You know, I, I love this concept of data-driven peer pressure. We've seen this on the business side. We now have to apply it um, on the care management side. We've seen this with Sonar. If you just tuned in, this is The Scope with Dr. K. I am interviewing Barry Tanner and Michael Weinstein about aggregation strategies for independent gastroenterologists. Barry, I'm sort of getting a vision of your idea is of the ideal GI practice aggregation model. I'd like to delve into the one that the two of you have created at PE Practice Solutions. What is your ideal and how does your model differ from what else is out there? The ideal to me is to have you feel like you are an independent practitioner, not a salaried employee, you get to decide how many staff members you want in your care division. You get to decide your own compensation levels within your care division. Essentially, you are, from, from the standpoint of 90% of what you do, is running an independent practice that, just like you did before, but you're part of a federation of practices that come together for purposes of accessing capital, for purposes of maybe recruitment, for purposes of data collection and data dissemination, that that is, to me, that is the ideal vision of a consolidated practice. So, and I'll agree, I'll agree with Barry, um, and you have to know a little bit, so Capital Digestive Care, as I said before, was a merger of seven practices, and it was a merger to form a robust back office support services, centralized business office to support these seven, seven separate practices. Uh, over time, there have been some space mergers because we've been together for 10 years. But, but the goal was to allow divisions, states, to decide how they wanted to operate themselves while at the same time supporting a federal government, a centralized back office management. And as we, over the last couple of years, what I think we've all realized throughout healthcare is we're, we're at this juncture where there is a need uh, for capital, but, but the strategy is not to see how fast you can increase the value over one year, two year, three years. That's the typical private equity strategy, which is how fast can I build value uh, as a practice we're not thinking about one, two, or three years. We're, we're thinking about 10, 20 years. I have 
you know, uh, a few dozen partners who have 15, 20, 25 year careers ahead of them. And you're trying to build a sustainable, successful, relevant, independent medical practice so that physicians can be their boss of themselves in their own environment, but take advantage of a superior back office management services that can you know, increase purchasing power and superiorly uh, skilled managers, uh, be, rele you know, be relevant to the payers, build new ancillary services that, that require larger numbers to make successful, uh, enhance technology, you know, things like sonar. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you, you want to put these uh, technologies to bear, but you need, you need a, a, a team of people to implement uh, technology. I think, the, I think the measure of success for me, Larry, if I were to, I hope, look back five or plus years from now in terms of what we've created here, if, if, we, if we have helped create a GI practice that people coming out of fellowship say, I want to be part of that because, and there's a very clear one or two or three bullet points. It's because there's opportunity to do what I've trained to do, to practice medicine. There's opportunity for leadership uh, within an organization. There's opportunity to do re clinical research if that's what I want to do. And there is, there is the scale of the organization is such that I don't have to worry about access to capital. We have the, we have the, the human resources and benefits of a large, let's say healthcare uh, system organization that I wouldn't have as a smaller practice, but as a larger aggregated practice. So I think it's being able to bring the benefits of scale and still and, and offer the types of things that I think young physicians today are interested in what they were training for, and also to protect their independent voice. Because I think, I don't, I don't want to skip over that too lightly because I think there is, to me, it's not so subtle, but there's at least a subtle difference between employment, um, and which I'm not trying to put down, but an employed physician and an independent physician in terms of how much they're willing to exercise their voice in the change of healthcare. And I feel very strongly that independent physicians, their voice is the one that's going to improve healthcare over the next five to 10 years. And that voice needs to be protected. And I think having a job is great. Um, being an employee is great. But I think no matter how you try to slice it, I think your ability to contribute, your willingness to contribute as an employee declines versus as an independent practitioner. Uh, you know, I, I love what I'm hearing from the, from the two of you because it supports everything that, every ideal that I've always held myself through the course of my independent practice career. It's, it's going to be a fine line. So, so the teeter-totter where you have the investors on one side and the physicians on the other side, this balance is really critical. Are you still looking for an exit are your investors still looking for an exit here? I think, Larry, one of the unique things about our model from the macro sense 
is that normally what we're seeing in the market is there's a private equity group that is investing directly in a medical group and there's nothing in between the two. So I can tell you that private equity, which I love dearly, they are terrific financial architects, but they also have a job to do. Like you have to deliver patient care. Private equity has a job to do. They take money from other investors, insurance companies, and so on. They need to, they've got, you know, a period of time to invest that money. And they've got a period of time to harvest the returns on those investments. And so that is their job. And I respect that. What, if you insert physicians endoscopy between private equity and the medical practices, physicians endoscopy is a, is, is on its fifth private equity firm, first of all, and it has longer term stability, um, providing liquidity at the same time to the physicians down at the medical practice group. But I think long term stability in, in, in terms of the, its position within healthcare. So will there be exits? Yes. Will they, will they be direct exits that physicians can participate in? They will be able to participate for sure, but I don't think they're gonna operate day to day with one eye on the exit sign and the other eye on patient care. And that's what I think PE is, is the fulcrum, the balancing point here to try to protect that integrity of patient care with the business aspect of private equity. That's a great answer. I love that answer. That's what I was hoping to hear. My final question for the two of you is, how do you see this aggregated entity allowing you to position yourself better in value-based care? Value-based care is gonna be at some point, uh, you know, taking some risk. Um, we're currently involved in some negotiations with a major payer. And uh, if you're not familiar, you know, Maryland is, uh, is the demonstration state for Medicare. Maryland has a waiver for typical Medicare and they are implementing specialty care programs within the state of Maryland to test uh, physician payment uh, for specialists as well as internists and all payer model that puts risk with physicians to control the cost of Medicare. So similar programs with a commercial carrier and in Maryland going to be with Medicare, uh, where we will be responsible for, or taking some risk for the total cost of care for certain episodes. You know, some of the episodes are, are bundles, almost like, you know, so colonoscopy as, as you and I worked on a few years ago where you're looking at the cost uh, from two or three days before to uh, 10 days afterwards. That, that's a very easily defined episode. Episodes are also being developed for conditions like diverticulitis and for inflammatory bowel disease. Much tougher to define the beginning and the end, and yet there are ways to do that so that you can measure the, the total cost of care for that group. If you're in order to take risk, in order to share 50% of an upside get, uh, below an average, but also take risk on a downside if you're, if you're spending too much money, well, the, the, the issue is with size is adverse selection in a small group will kill you. That's kind of what happened in our capitated contract back in the 90s is 
we needed to be able to be responsible for a larger segment of the population so that adverse selection wouldn't hurt us. Um, that's the, that, I think that's the way that value-based care is going to be successful in medical practices is you're going to have to aggregate groups of physicians in some sort of way where they can share the risk um, for, for total costs of care and, that, and, and be responsible so that hopefully we provide the same high value of care, you know, great outcomes and patient satisfaction, hopefully at a lower cost where we are incentivized to, to do both, to have great patient satisfaction as well as to have overall lower cost of care. And in order to do that, you need data, you need expertise in finance, you need expertise in actuarial analysis. These are not the type of experts that you find in most medical practices. Which begs, which makes the case for the larger, well-managed, well-capitalized, independent practice. But I think what I would add to that where is that in addition to what Michael said, it seems to me being a non-physician, I can probably say this. <laughs> the, to me, the people talk about value-based care. It's very easy when someone has a problem to say, did you deliver quality care and did you fix the problem? I think, and that's how most people think, did, can I do it more efficiently, less expensively and achieve proper outcomes? I think the real measure of value-based care, and this is where I think the aggregation model comes in, is you know, can you can can we find a way to keep people away from having problems out to to not to treat people who don't have a problem to head off the problems that will arise? It's so, it's very similar in many respects to what you've done with Sonar MD. It's how do we treat the people who aren't presenting that have a problem. And I think, first of all, the, the reimbursement system has to change to reward gastroenterologists for keeping people healthy. But part of that change, I think, can be driven by the data and the outcomes management that business people can help provide to you and to Michael. Um, and I think the secret sauce is gonna be, can we keep people from having problems and out of your office. That's the true measure, I think, down the road of value-based care. Well, on that note, it's a wonderful point to end this podcast. Thank you, Barry and Michael, and thanks to our audience for tuning in. You can learn more about the show on the programs page on healthcarenowradio.com, and you can lend your voice to the conversation on Twitter at hashtag HCNowRadio. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at SonarMD. We're bringing patients, providers, and payers together to reimagine GI care. Until next time, I'm Dr. K. Stay well. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. K. Tune in with me next time to reimagine the scope of GI care. If we build it, they will join.